Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. We are going to read first from Mark 15. So pull out Mark and we're reading from verse 42 all the way to chapter 16, verse 8. So that's Mark 15 from verse 42. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb, cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And now reading from John 11, verses 17 to 27. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Thanks so much for reading, Lauren. Um, He is risen. Amen. Hallelujah. How good. How good is it? Yeah. Um, Before I start, I'm I'm Simon, lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. And uh, happy Easter to you. Um, Good to see you all this morning. Um, Big thank you. Um, I, I was out... Um, in the bathroom when we sort of, I heard some cheering and shouting. Um, I assume that was about, was that about Josh and Kim having a baby? Yes. And Tom and Maggie have, having just had a baby. Um, I think almost as good as that is delicious bagels for breakfast. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe not, you know, maybe arguably. Uh, but so we should give a round of applause if you've been here this morning and, and partaken in a delicious bagel. Uh, thanks particularly to Ruth and Samantha and to um, Naomi who were on the table up the back. So let's give them a round of applause, hey? Yeah. Um. 
Someone, uh, someone said to me this morning, is the reason we're having bagels because they kind of look like a stone that kind of got rolled away and there's a hole in it? Think about that as you want to. Um, there you go. Happy Easter to you. Um, a man woke up one morning absolutely convinced he was dead. His wife thought he was joking and quipped, how can you be talking about being dead if you're dead? But nothing she could do could convince him that he was alive. So she had this idea, she invited a friend over who was a medical doctor and the doctor came over with a little bit of counselling and then had this great idea. He, he reached into his bag and pulled out a heavy medical textbook and turned to the, one of the indisputable facts about dead people, they don't bleed. Uh, walked him through the evidence and said, you know, when the heart stops, the, the blood kind of coagulates and therefore dead people don't bleed. And the man read it and was utterly convinced that dead people don't bleed, at which point the doctor got a pin, jabbed him in the arm, blood spurted absolutely everywhere, and the man looked at his arm and said, oh my goodness, look, dead people do bleed after all. <laughs> Thanks for laughing for those who, who did. Um, we weren't expecting to have Mark Ballas with us over the Easter weekend, but that one's for you, Mark, uh, the, the father of dad jokes, even though he's too young to be into that. Um, with that lame dad joke in mind, let's pray as we come before God's word this morning, this Easter day. Father, we thank you and praise you for all the good things you give us. And Father, there is nothing better than being forgiven through faith in the blood of Jesus and sitting here today alive in him through his glorious resurrection from the grave. Father, it is, it is beyond words really to capture the wonder of the fact that in our world, in our history, someone has overcome death and Father has walked out of that grave. That is something that we, if we stop and pause for just a minute, we long for. For death is that thing that robs life of so much and yet here is a wonderful truth that your son Jesus father has walked out of the grave and opened up for us eternal life for may we afresh this morning marvel at that for those of us here today who are yet to believe that amazing truth I pray that you'd be at work by your spirit stirring hearts to see hear, and love Jesus and to find forever life in him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christianity is obviously based on the outrageous claims of one hysterical female. Christianity is obviously based on the outrageous claims of one hysterical female. So argued in the first full-scale critique of Christianity in the century, immediately after the century of Jesus. His name was Celsus. He was an elite Greek intellectual who had read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in his own book slammed the whole story. It was wildly popular what he had to write and caused heaps of problems for the first Christians. Celsus was like the Richard Dawkins of the first century or the ancient world. And one of the areas where he felt Christianity was most vulnerable was its emphasis on women. He knew the resurrection narratives and believed that the prominence of women in those narratives was a clear indication that the whole thing is hysteria, not history. 
Because in those times, in the times of Jesus and Celsus, the testimony of women was really not thought to be of any value whatsoever. Here's a law from the very time. Quote, The law governing an oath of testimony only applies to men and not to women. Those who are suitable to bear witness are not to be those who are not to those who are unsuitable. I almost feel bad reading this out loud. Here's another one, even earlier, you might be familiar with this one, a first century statement, quote, from women let no evidence be accepted because of the levity and the temerity of their sex. And it's in this mood that Celsus thought that the whole of the Christian faith was premised on the testimony of one hysterical female. Can't be trusted then, he would say. Now here's the thing, God didn't share that view. Since he orchestrated to have women prominent at every point of the Easter narrative, at the crucifixion, at the burial, at the empty tomb, and at the resurrection itself. And obviously the gospel writers didn't share their culture's distrust of women since they preserved the story for us. They they could have made things much, 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 much easier for themselves by writing men into the story and writing the women out of the story. But they didn't do that. They told it how they knew it, they recorded it how they saw it, and they copped heaps of flack for it. Recent years, in our time, we've been confronting our own cultures thinking about women. I think back to 2017, our federal government's focus on domestic violence, where we were confronted with the fact that 80% of intimate partner violence is perpetrated by men towards women. Perhaps the scariest statistic to be highlighted in that year is that one woman every week in Australia is killed by her male partner. Then there is the the more recent, you know, hashtag MeToo movement, where we've been again confronted by the prevalence of sexual harassment of women by men in 90% of the cases. From Hollywood, through to local schools, and more recently in our state and federal parliament buildings, and everywhere in between. So I thought this Easter, this Easter Sunday, we'd do something a little bit different and look at the Easter Sunday narrative through the eyes of the women in the story. And in some ways you can't avoid doing that, right? Because women are everywhere in the story. They dominate the written accounts that we have. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The accounts of the crucifixion, the burial, the empty tomb and the resurrection. I mean, Celsus was right. This is a very female story. I just think he was wrong that it had anything to do with hysteria. And leading scholars out there, just to get a bit nerdy for a moment, we can get a bit nerdy on Easter Sunday, it's okay. Um, People like James Dunn of Durham University or Richard Borkham of Cambridge University, people who are just top shelf scholars when it comes to the gospels and the histories around them, both point out that the information we have about the events of Good Friday through to Easter Day can only have come originally from women. 
Because guess what? All the men fled. They're the only participants, really, for a great deal of it. So in a sense, we've always viewed the Easter narrative, Good Friday through to Easter Sunday, through the eyes of women. It was their story from the beginning. I just want to bring that to the fore today as we think about this wonderful day, Easter Sunday. And firstly, I want us just to wind back the clock a little bit. The second reading that Lauren brought us today was John chapter 11. I want to wind us back there today because the only... It turns out in the Gospels, the only major discussion of resurrection that Jesus had during his lifetime was also with a woman, his dear friend Martha, uh, the sister of Lazarus and another Mary, um, not to be confused with Mary Magdalene. I don't know if you knew this, but one in four women in the first century were called Mary. There you go. Um, just That's a little fun fact for you. There you go. But you know what, no, sorry, John chapter 11, uh, the story is Lazarus dies, Martha's brother dies, um, John 11, and at the funeral, Jesus confronts, uh, sorry, Martha confronts Jesus because Jesus is late to a funeral. Anyone been late to a funeral before? If you have, you're in good company. Jesus was late to a funeral. Um, and we read in John chapter 11, verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to, him, to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now this clearly portrays Martha, a woman who is fully engaged in debates of the afterlife. We know that some Jews of the period, notably the Sadducees, we met them in Mark chapter 12 a few weeks ago, didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. There's another dad joke for you. But he, oh man, I'm getting buckets of laughs. Anyway, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, but there were other kinds of Jews who did believe in the resurrection. So the Pharisees, the Essenes, they're the ones we got the Dead Sea Scrolls from. They did. They said that in the end of time, God will raise all people to resurrection life. That's what they believed. So Martha pins her theological colours to the mast and says, I do believe that Jewish doctrine, that there will be a resurrection from the dead at the end of time. But Jesus responds by letting Martha into perhaps the most profound piece of teaching about the afterlife in all of the Gospels. So profound that the words that Jesus speaks to Martha are to this day used as the opening words in most traditional funeral gatherings in our world. Listen to this. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus moves Martha beyond mere theology or a theological question. What's your view of the afterlife? To a very personal question, will you trust me? Not will you trust a doctrine, will you trust me with your eternal life? Martha is the first person in world history to ponder what is pretty close to
to the heartbeat of Christianity, the resurrection. And Martha answers with clear conviction. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is come into the world. Whatever the doctrinal complexities around the resurrection, she says, I just know that you are the Lord and I pin my hopes on you, Jesus. It's quite an insight. And frankly, as I read, I find no other ancient account, whether it's Jewish or Greek or Roman, that places a woman at the centre of a philosophical discussion with a public teacher. You don't get that with Socrates, the Greeks. You don't get that with Gamaliel, the Jews. You don't get that with Seneca, the Romans. It isn't there, but guess what? You get it with Jesus and his friend Martha of Bethany. And this rich theological conversation about the truth that changes the world during Jesus' lifetime turns out to be kind of like a little bit of a preview of the place women will have at the end of the gospel, at the climax of the gospel, at the Easter events. So in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here's three things we learn about, about the women. Firstly, Jesus' followers stay with Jesus, Jesus, sorry, female followers stay with Jesus all the way to the cross. The men have fled. Only the women follow Jesus' body to the tomb to make plans for his burial and preparation. And thirdly, women are the first to know of the empty tomb and are the first to know of the reality of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but like 2,000 years later, that, that, that sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? You know, to have women right at the centre of the central narrative of the biggest religion in the world. That sounds pretty cool, would you agree? It's pretty cool. But you've got to realise that at the time, that just caused problems. It's cool today, it's challenging back then. It caused all kinds of credibility problems for the Christians. It invited intellectuals like Kelsus to say, the whole thing is a joke based on the testimony of one hysterical woman. So what do I do now? is look briefly at this hysterical woman, or so-called hysterical woman, who we met in today's reading in Mark, Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. In John's Gospel, we read, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Here's verse three. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Verse four, both were running, but the other disciple outrun Peter and reached the tomb first. Now just briefly on verse four, right? It's a bit weird, isn't it? You've got these two disciples running for the tomb, Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple outruns Peter. What's the inner deep spiritual meaning of this? Nothing. It's just a sort of weird detail that you kind of get in testimonies and eyewitness accounts. There you go. 
The story's not about John or Peter. The story's about Mary. Her story, her experience frames the story. While they're looking into the tomb and then they run off all puzzled and confused, where's Mary? Sticking by the tomb. And in the garden, she encounters Jesus. Now, before I go any further, some silly, silly, silly things have been said about Mary of Magdala over the centuries. Silly things said by the church, silly things said by sort of popular culture. We'll take on the church first, right? So from the sixth century, a guy named Pope Gregory identified Mary Magdalene with the unnamed sinful woman in Luke chapter seven. And from the late sixth century, everyone began to think that Mary was a former sex worker. So Mary got stuck with this particularly, I guess, dodgy past. Until the 1960s when the Vatican eventually said, um, yeah, I think we got that one wrong. Even less plausible than that was Dan Brown's claim. Anyone read the Da Vinci Code? Dan Brown's claim in the Da Vinci Code that Jesus married Mary, of Mag- Mary Magdalene and they had kids and still to this day the descendants are living in Paris. That's the other theory. Let me tell you about Mary. All we really know about Mary Magdalene is that she was an elite Galilean woman from the fishing village called Magdala. Um, Magdala actually was only discovered quite recently actually, and in Magdala was discovered a, a first century Jewish synagogue as well. You can, when vaccination gets a bit more widespread, you can go and visit that one day. Um, but there you go, it's, she was born in Magdala. In Magdala, Mary was healed by Jesus. Luke chapter eight. And then as an elite woman, she rallied together her other elite women buddies. And seriously, I kid you not, she bankrolled the whole, or together they bankrolled the whole Jesus movement. They funded the next three years of Jesus' ministry. So Mary's this traveling disciple of Jesus, part of this big growing entourage of people who are following Jesus all around Judea and Galilee in the first century. And she is a key benefactor of the whole mission of seeking and saving the lost. And she ended up being the first witness, the first witness of the resurrection of Jesus himself. Isn't that amazing? What a woman. Listen to this, as the narrative in John goes on of Jesus' resurrection. She turned around, Mary of Magdalene turned around, saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mariame. Mariame, Mary. She knew it was her Lord. She, she, he spoke her name. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. Clearly, Mary was holding on to him. 
For I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary had been a disciple of Jesus since she first met him, probably in that synagogue in Magdala. And she expressed this devotion to Jesus by traveling with him, by bankrolling the mission, and by sticking with him all the way to Jerusalem, all the way to the cross, all the way to the tomb, and now to the resurrection. So in one sense, right, with all of that background for Mary, it's understandable, isn't it, in this really poignant moment where she's got him back, she would cling on to him. Wouldn't you do that? In love and in affection. A friend of mine um, shared on, on Facebook just yesterday that her little son of about four years old was at home and and he was playing in their bedroom and he was on the floor and he pulled down on top of himself the side table, which at one level you think is a fairly insignificant incident, and yet as she lifted the table off him, he was not breathing. He went blue. In her, in her arms, he was dead and she's doing CPR on her own four-year-old son. The ambulance came and they brought him back to life and she clung to him like she's never clung to him before. Wouldn't you do that? I've got him back. So isn't it fair that Mary, having her Lord back, would want to just cling to him? Don't go anywhere. I love you. But Jesus says, don't hold on to me. More important things are going on here than our affection. I have a task for you, Mary of Magdala. You are going to be the first person to tell others that I have risen from the dead. So she lets go. She runs off. And the rest is history. Mary knows that this is not just the mere return of a loved one. She knows this is proof and a pledge of who Jesus really is. Jesus really is the sin-smashing, death-crushing Lord of all. He is the Messiah. And so she knows this is not just a mere time for sentimentality, for, for clinging on. There's no hysteria here. There's conviction and clarity and courage and obedience and dependence. What defines Mary Magdalene? Well, just like Martha, it isn't just doctrine or sentiment or love or affection. It's absolute dependence on Jesus himself as the resurrection and the life. Let me close with three simple reflections on Easter Sunday for us from this. Firstly, the presence of women in the account is one of the very strong markers that what we have before us in the Gospels is real history. It's real history. Um, many otherwise sort of sceptical scholars point out that if you were writing a story about the resurrection and you wanted your fellow first century believers to, friends to kind of believe it, well, you would not make women the first eyewitnesses, right? unless it actually just happened to happen that way. 
This is just one of four or five really strong lines of evidence that to this day makes scholars think that there is something really serious going on with Jesus' resurrection. There's no way you can simply dismiss this as simply something that happened in Middle Earth. No, it happened actually in the Middle East. And if you're a bit skeptical today, and I genuinely think, I like to think that we're a church here where skeptical people are free to kind of be comfortable and explore those skepticisms. If that's you, allow Easter to prompt you to investigate this a bit further. For I'm confident that you'll find more strength of argument here than you ever imagined. Secondly, while I don't think we are to read the Gospels as some kind of proto-feminist literature, I do think that the centrality of the female disciples in the central narrative of the Christian faith means something. Something. At least it means that women are just important to Jesus and just as valuable role models as faith and devotion to Jesus as any of the men. And if you're a woman here today whose journey of life or of faith has been thwarted or damaged by men, can I just say, please look to the Jesus that Mary and Martha revered. Let him lead you to flourishing. And thirdly and finally, and perhaps in a little bit of tension with what I've just said, I reckon Mary and Martha would be horrified if I made this sermon today all about them. Generally. Um, I had a busy week, so I found myself writing most of this sermon on Friday afternoon after, you know, Good Friday. And I'm sitting in my office and I had this sort of sneaking feeling that Mary and Martha were kind of hanging around. There was no one else in the office, right? This is not superstitious, right? But I felt like Mary and Martha were kind of hanging out with me there. And they were looking over my shoulder going, Jacko, it's not about us. Why are you talking about us so much? It's not about us. And then Mary pops up, Jacko, it's not even about women. It's not about women. And then Martha says, Jacko, it's about Jesus. It's about our Lord Jesus. What Mary and Martha both teach us is that the Christian faith boils down to dependence on Jesus himself. This day isn't necessarily about the historical veracity of the resurrection, although it is that, and I would love to talk about that all day, but you've got lunches to go to. This day actually isn't all about the value of women, although it is. This is really not a day all about our particular view of the afterlife or warm sentiments about Christian traditions that drag us back to church at this time of year. No, today is all about encountering Jesus Christ. The one who died for your sins and won us forgiveness on Friday and the one who rose from the grave on Sunday, crushing death and handing us through faith eternal life. Amen? I pray, I pray that each one of us in this building will find time this Easter in your own way and perhaps in your own time to ponder that most profound question of all, 
first put to Martha and then experienced in real time, real history, real life by Mary. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you trust this? Do you believe it? Let's pray. Again, Father, we praise you for Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the, um, the examples before us today of, of Mary and of Martha. Uh, women who loved you and in so many ways expressed their love for you in commitment to you, in following you, your son, all the way to the cross and to the tomb and to the empty tomb, the resurrection. Thank you, Father, for the way that they sit before us and stand before us as examples of lives transformed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Women captured, two human beings captured by the wonder of the gospel. But Father, more than that, we thank you for the one who is at the heart of the good news, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Father, we praise you afresh now for the sin-smashing death of Jesus. We thank you for the blood poured out for us. That Father has paid for our sins, past, present, and future. We praise you for Jesus' death-crushing resurrection. And Father, we ask and pray that with a fresh reminder of that, you'd send us out in the power of your Spirit to live lives of devotion, to live lives that reek of hope, to live lives with the help of your spirit, point others to Jesus. Move us, Father, with the hope that you've given us in Jesus. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.